Well, good morning, everybody. It is such a privilege to be with you today and to bring God's word into your lounge rooms or your kitchen bench or wherever you might be today. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Kathy, and the media team who uh, have invited me to uh, share with you today on Mother's Day. And I just want to say it is such a privilege and an honor to be with you. Well, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there, to all the biological mums, but also all the feeling mums, all the spiritual mums, and all the future mums, the mums that will be someday in the future. And we all know that on Mother's Day, there's so many mixed emotions out there because there's so many scenarios and circumstances that, um, that are taking place in each of your worlds at the moment. I know for me, I haven't had the pleasure of celebrating Mother's Day with my own mum since I was 19 uh, when she passed away with cancer. And so um, uh, I just want to send out my heartfelt love and, um, and prayers to each and every one of you this morning. May you be blessed in some shape or form today. So I wonder if you were to think about the best Mother's Day gift that you have ever received. I wonder what you'd say about that. I wonder what that would be. I think back to one of my favourite gifts that I received from my kids. My children are uh, a bit older now. They're aged 12, 15 and 19. But some years ago, I got an annual subscription to House Magazine. And I absolutely loved heading out to the letterbox on a monthly basis and getting this magazine and then putting it away for that quiet time where I was going to sit there and indulge in flicking through these pages aimlessly. And I did that month after month. And I kept saying, I remember I kept saying to, to myself and to my family, I kept saying, oh my gosh, this is like the best gift ever. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, because I, I love home decorating and because I um, flick through magazines like that, because I just love the content so much and I flick through aimlessly 55 times over, it really was the gift that kept on giving. I wonder what it is for you. But nonetheless, I want to bring to you today a gift on Mother's Day that will keep on giving to you. I want to bring to you by the grace of God some tools and some ideas as to how you can begin to see your obstacles as opportunities. And you know what? This will be the gift that keeps on giving to you daily, weekly, monthly, but even more than that, it'll be the gift that keeps on giving to you through your children as they observe the way that you face obstacles. And it'll be the gift that you give get this, to your lineage, because it'll be something that you pass on. It'll not only be a legacy that you leave, but it'll be a lifestyle that you model to those in your influence. And so would you allow me to unpack with us today how you can begin to turn your obstacles into opportunities. But first, let's take a little bit of an inventory on where we stand with this. And so my question is, what do you do when life presents itself with obstacles that get in your way? How about if 
you are plodding along on a friendship or a relationship. It might be with a friend or a co-worker um, or a child or a partner. And you thought that everything was running smoothly and actually it was and you're in a really, really good season. But there's something takes place one day. Someone says something or someone does something and you really feel it in your gut and you think, wow, that hurt. I, f- I feel really, really um, offended or hurt or betrayed or, or whatever it might be. What do you do in those moments? Or what do you do in the moments where life seems to just be going on quite smoothly? Work is in a stable rhythm. Um, your finances are in a stable rhythm. Your schedule and your calendar look like they're quite stable. But then suddenly, COVID-19 hits our nation, hits our globe. What do you do with those obstacles? Or what do you actually do if you find yourself having to homeschool your kids. (laughs) And we can all affiliate with that, those of us who have got kids at home. What do you do when you've gone from making breakfast to packing recess to packing lunch to suddenly you're now having to provide 18 meals a day? I don't know what your kids are like, but my kids are allowed to eat online. I'm not sure if any of their teachers are going to be watching this, but I think that's what they tell me the rule is. And so suddenly I've gone from breakfast, recess and lunch to, you know, 18 into interruptions, um, and that might actually be a gross understatement, but constant interruptions throughout the day, you know, racing into the kitchen, what's to eat, what can I have? What do you do when those types of obstacles or bigger ones or smaller ones invade your day? And so today I just want to suggest that I think that there is the most outstanding Bible character that we can learn a few tips from. And so would you allow me to unpack some things that we can learn from the life of Joseph in the scripture? Now, Joseph experienced many in capital letters, in bold, in red, underlined obstacles. And I dare say that he has a lot to teach us in this space. Let me just walk you through some key events in the life of Joseph. And so if we were watching a video of Joseph's life and we hit fast forward, these are the types of things and these are the events and the scenarios that we might watch unfold in his life. Let me walk you through those. Joseph as a young man was a brother of, um, he was one of 12 boys. He was one of 12 boys and He was um, favoured by his father. His father, Jacob, had multiple wives. But Joseph was the son of Rachel, as was his brother, Benjamin. And uh, Rachel was also Jacob's favourite wife. And so here we have Joseph, the favourite of his dad's lot. And his brothers actually felt that. And they had a really intense jealousy towards him, and maybe rightly so. But then we hear that Joseph has this dream. And in this dream, he believes that he has heard that the day will come where he will rule over his brothers. And so wisely or unwisely, he decides to share this dream with his brothers. So he turns up one day and he goes, hey guys, guess what? Yeah, you guessed it. They hated him even more. And so his brothers plotted to kill him. So to cut a long story short, they actually um, took him and sold him off to some traders. These traders took Joseph 
to Egypt and sold him into the house of Potiphar as a slave. So here Joseph is, he's so oblivious and so unaware of what the heck has happened. All he did was share this dream with his brothers. And the next thing he knows, he's in Potiphar's house and he's there to be a slave. So day after day, month after month and year after year, Joseph found himself with an unusual predicament or in an unusual predicament. He was considered so favoured and he did everything right that Potiphar actually put him in charge of his entire household. And so we have this situation where he's there as a slave, but suddenly things look like they're maybe turning around a little bit, not quite sure how well, but he's been esteemed and he's been given a real position of authority. And then one thing leads to the next and leads to the next and leads to the next. And then we read that Potiphar's wife actually begins to have eyes for Joseph. And the scripture tells us the most random thing. It tells us that Joseph was a well-built and good-looking young man. So she must have noticed that. And she began, the scripture says, day after day to seduce him and ask Joseph to lie with her. And he resisted and resisted and resisted until one day she actually caught him by the cloak and insisted that he go to bed with her and he literally fled for his life. And I once heard someone say the most beautiful thing about that. They said that Joseph preferred to leave his cloak in her hands rather than his character in her hands. And I love that. But anyway... Again, the story unfolds and we read and we learn that she was so offended and her ego was so wounded by this that she decided to go and tell her husband that um, Joseph had seduced her and she completely framed him. And so Pharaoh decided that he was going to throw Joseph into prison for this this despicable act that he'd committed with his wife. And so here we have it again, poor old Joseph, who just thought things maybe we're going to turn around. Maybe we're going to look different. He was now in charge of this household and all of a sudden he's in prison. So he's in prison and the months and the years roll on again and again. And then we have this really unusual situation unfold where... um, Two men from the household of Pharaoh are actually placed in prison and they have a really random dream that that really disturbs and rattles them. And someone in prison says to them, hey, that guy, Joseph, he actually knows how to interpret dreams. And so they pull out Joseph. And at this point, he was quite esteemed within the prison um, because we also read that the prison wardens had realized that again, the favor of God was on Joseph. Again, he was doing everything right. And he was, there was something about this guy. And so at this point, he was actually in charge of running the whole prison setup. So here he comes out and he listens to the dream and, and he has a go at interpreting it. And do you know what? His interpretation was accurate and it actually came to pass. The interpretation that he had for the butler was that he would actually be released from prison within three days and he would go back to Pharaoh's house. And so here was Joseph and he had one plea for the butler and he said this to him. He said, mate, 
I've just got one thing to ask of you. Would you be so kind? Would you just do one favour for me? When you get out and when you're back in Pharaoh's house, would you just tell him that I'm actually a good guy? Would you actually tell him that I interpreted your dream and that it came to pass? And would you tell him to have mercy on me? And the butler was like, yeah, for sure, of course I would. Of course I would. You know, I'm maybe just reading between the lines, but we have this situation where Joseph, again, he's on the edge of his seat. He's like, oh my gosh, my break is about to come because this guy is going to get out there. He's going to put in a good word and things are going to turn around for me. And so the butler heads out back into Pharaoh's household and Joseph is still in prison and he is waiting. He is sitting by his laptop, waiting for that email, waiting for that text. You know the feeling where you sit there and you're like, oh my gosh, and suddenly fresh hope and fresh tenacity and fresh liveliness comes and rises within you because you're like, this is my break. But then week after week passes and Joseph realises that maybe, just maybe, this butler has forgotten all about him. And he has. And so he gets back, gets in his box, and the excitement that was, this is it, just now sinks back into a place of maybe not. And then the scripture tells us that Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream and he's looking now for someone to interpret his dream and suddenly the butler says, oh my gosh, I know someone who can interpret your dream. I know someone who can tell you what that means. But you know what the crazy thing is? The scripture tells us at the start of this section in Genesis 39, it says two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. That butler, oh my gosh, shame on him. Two years he forgot to mention to Pharaoh what Joseph had done for him. But two years later, he finally remembers and he says, oh my gosh, I know the guy. And so to cut a long story short again, Pharaoh calls on Joseph and he brings him in. And lo and behold, Joseph interprets his dream. And he says, you know what your dream means? That there'll be seven years of um, famine and seven years of abundance. And Pharaoh thinks, wow, who else is wiser than this man? I'm going to put him in charge of all of Egypt. And so here we have Joseph. He's finally seen his break. And so he's in Pharaoh's house, but he's in charge of all of Egypt. He's second in charge after Pharaoh. And through a series of events, he ends up reuniting with his dad and his brothers. With his dad and his brothers. If you want to pick up the story of Joseph, it starts from uh, uh, chapter 37 in Genesis and works its way through all the way to chapter 50. But I want to pick up on three key things that we can learn from Joseph's life as to how he was able to see his obstacles as opportunities.
opportunities, how Joseph was able to see his obstacles and opportunities. And I'm believing today that you and I can develop a mindset just like Joseph, just like Joseph, to not see obstacles as obstacles, but to see them as incredible God-appointed opportunities for our lives, the big ones and the small ones. And so, firstly, I want to pick up three key things. Firstly, it says this, in Genesis 41, 50 to 52, it says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It's because God has made me forget all of my trouble. That was the meaning of Manasseh. And then the second son was born to Joseph and we're told that he named him Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You see, we're learning now that in Genesis 41, Joseph married and had two boys. But how did Joseph turn his obstacles into opportunities? Firstly, he spoke prophetically into his future. You see, I love how it says, that he named his firstborn Manasseh, meaning God made me forget all of my trouble. Now you and I know that life has a way of sometimes surfacing the troubles of our past and raising them. And we think, oh my gosh, why is my past haunting me and traumatizing me in my present? But you see, Joseph spoke prophetically into his future. Now, he knew that he wasn't going to experience an Alzheimer's that would cause him to forget the troubles of his past. But you know what he was saying? He was saying, I will forget. I will forget the pain. I will, by the grace of God and the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, forget the pain and you will too. That, that resentment, that frustration, that deep nauseous feeling in your gut of things that were in your past. I wonder for you today, if you would be like Joseph and if you would prophetically declare into your future that your past is irrespective of your present and that your past doesn't go with you into your future in the name of Jesus. What is one thing that you can prophetically declare into your future like Joseph did into his. Secondly, I want to highlight from Genesis 43 and verse 30 to 31, it says this. Now we're picking up here at a moment where Joseph was reunited with his brothers. And it says this, deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And after he'd washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. I love this. We're given insight into a moment where Joseph has a meltdown, where his emotions get the better of him, where everything that's happened seems to culminate in this moment and he is so overwhelmed and he just wants to cry and he just wants to let it out. And you know what he does? He does just that. 
He does just that. We read that he goes away to another room and he cries and he lets it out and he has this release of emotions because you see, emotions are real and sometimes our obstacles, they do grip us. And having a meltdown is okay. Having a cry is okay. But you know what? Do you know how you and I can be a people like Joseph who learn to turn our obstacles into opportunities? It is when we decide that we are going to regain control after every meltdown. So yes, the meltdowns are okay. However, Joseph washed his face, he regained control and he came back and it was business as usual. And so my question to you and to me today is what is one thing, one practical thing that I can do to regain control after my meltdowns? When I am faced with an obstacle, what is one thing that I can do to go, okay, Yes, that happened. And yes, that's not cool. And yes, that made me feel sick. And yes, that has rattled me. But I choose in the name of Jesus to take control. And I choose to show up. And I choose to press on. What is that one thing for you that you can do to regain control? And thirdly, what I believe that we can learn from Joseph to help us See, our obstacles as opportunities is this. And we pick it up from Genesis 50 and verse 20. And it says this. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Joseph spoke the promises of God and believed them. That's powerful stuff. Because you see, when you and I forget the promises of God over our life, we can give in to lies. We can give in to despair. We can give in to hopelessness. But when we dig our heels in the ground again and when we go, no, I have this promise from God for my future. And whilst it looks like the obstacles are taking control, but I believe that God's promises will prevail. You see, it was easy for Joseph to have developed a victim's mindset. We would have given him a real dose of grace had he done that because he lived this life full of turbulence, full of obstacles. And every time he got up close to a breakthrough, he was put back in his box. But eventually, eventually he saw his breakthrough because he believed in the promises of God. And so my question to you and to me today is that, what is a promise of God that you can Bring back out of that drawer. Bring back out of that box. Bring back out from the, the pages of your journal or your Bible and pull it out and put it front and centre and say, today I choose. Today I choose to declare the promises of God once again because whatever the enemy, circumstances, other people, my own mindsets, whatever it is that meant it for evil, God can turn it around for good. 
And today on Mother's Day, I'm believing that for you. I'm believing that as you remember and declare God's promises over your life, that you would be able to stand strong, that you would get a new found tenacity and drive and resilience and resolve and faith and boldness and posture to be able to say what the enemy meant for evil, what others meant for evil, but God intends it for good. You see, you and I have been built and created with an ability to change our mindset. You and I are more adaptable than we think we are. I remember um, a conversation I had a little while ago with a woman at church and I stood around and chatted with her after the service and she was telling me about the fact that they had um, lived um, as missionaries for a number of years. She would have been in her um, early 40s at Tops, and um, they'd been missionaries for a number of years and uh, they had relocated, I can't remember how many number of times, but a significant number of times. They had kids who were school-aged and they were uprooting their kids from one school and taking them to another. And this seemed to happen over and over again. And I was sort of getting anxiety just listening to the story. And, and then she went on and, and she said to me, she said, you know, Susie, actually, it was really funny because we're back in Melbourne at the moment and um, my husband recently suggested the idea of trying to apply for a, a home loan and buying a home here in Melbourne. And she said, the thought of it, I said to him, absolutely no way. There is no way I, I want to buy a house here in Melbourne. And I was just listening, thinking, what on earth? Are you not hungry for like at least a little bit of stability, lady? And I said, oh, really? And she said, oh, no way. That would tie me down so badly. She said, that just raises the, the strongest feelings of claustrophobia within me. And I just listened thinking, wowzers, are there people like this on earth <laughs> who love change, who just, where stability is like a, you know, a, an enemy? And I said to her, have you always been like this? And she said, no, not really, actually. I've had to, to work on it. But you see, Susie, I grew up in a missionary um, household. My parents were missionaries. And so when we started living that life as well and, and moving and relocating, I thought, you know what? I've actually got to adapt. I've actually got to do something to embrace the call of God over our life. Otherwise, I'm just going to, you know, despair and collapse. And, you know, and so she said, no, I've, I've not always been like this, but I have trained myself to be like this. And so, you know what? I listen to that story and I think to myself, God wants you and I to actually embrace this possibility of adapting to life's circumstances, to our obstacles. Because when you and I learn to embrace our obstacles as opportunities, it's not just to release some feel-good feelings within us. It's not just to stop us from those ugly, yucky, uncomfortable feelings. But it's because when we embrace our obstacles as opportunities, we actually have a clearer head and mind and spirit to be able to hear from God, to be able to have a clear head and a clear heart, to be able to go, God, what are you saying into my life? 
But not just that, where we're actually got these, we're actually ridding ourselves of bondages and chains that hold us back from stepping into everything God has for us and stepping into the calling and the destiny that he has for our lives. You see, if this woman at church that I chatted with hadn't developed this adaptability to the things that God has called her to, well, can you see how everything God had called them to be and how the call of God over their lives would actually just be a real burden and a joy that they wouldn't flourish and flow into everything God had for them because there's always this this heaviness that sits over their obstacles. And so for you today, I know that as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, And as we say, I choose, I choose a new mindset. I choose the gift that keeps on giving, not just to me daily, not just to me monthly, not just to me annually, but to my kids and their kids and their kids and to my generations because what I model gets passed on and I want to model that in every obstacle, God has an opportunity for me. And so I want to leave you today with a really short prayer that you can memorize and repeat every single time you face an obstacle, whether it's a large obstacle or whether it's a small obstacle. I want you to memorize this line with me and I want you to spit it out like a robot until the Holy Spirit works it in your life and marinates it into your soul so that it becomes your new normal and it becomes your new phrase and it becomes your new way of looking at your opportunities. And it's this, Father God, I'm keen to see how you will bring about opportunities from my obstacles. Why don't you say it with me wherever you are at the moment. You might be sitting at the kitchen bench. You might be sitting on the deck outside. You might be sitting in your lounge room or still tucked away in bed at the moment. But why don't you say that with me? Father God, I'm keen to see what opportunities you will bring about from my obstacles. Why don't you memorize that? Why don't you say it in the face of every obstacle? so that it ends up becoming your new normal, so that you can speak a shift, that you can reframe your view of obstacles in Jesus' name. And as you do this, I know for sure that the Holy Spirit who desires us to actually reprogram our minds so that we are more aligned with the voice of God will empower you and mobilize you and bless you in Jesus' name. Would you allow me to pray? Father God, we just want to thank you for every woman, every mom, but also every man and every dad and every child and every individual watching today. We want to ask that in the name of Jesus that you would give us a newfound boldness and resolve and and, and hopefulness and an excitement and a joy even to look at our circumstances, look at our obstacles in future and develop a new mindset that says, Father God, 
I'm excited about the, the opportunity that lies behind this obstacle. Father God, would you mobilise your people this morning? Would you empower your people this morning? Would you shift us to know that in all things you are working for the good of those who love you? That in all things, as we surrender our life to you and as we walk faithfully with you and as we desire to become more like Jesus, that you would release, that you would release within us an ability, a supernatural ability to see our obstacles as opportunities so that we can thrive and press on and step into a destiny that is of you, Father. We want to thank you because you are that God. You are that God who does the journey with us. You are that God who sends your spirit to enable us, who walks alongside us. And we want to thank you. And for everybody watching this morning who hasn't necessarily given their heart to Jesus or made that decision to faithfully put your hand up and say, I give up. I'm trying to make things work out in my own strength. But Lord, I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite you to come and live in my life and reside in my world. I want to die to myself. I want to ask you to come in. I want to invite you to come and be my saviour and Lord. If that's you this morning, why don't you just say to Jesus, come into my life, take over, forgive me for my sins and empower me to live the life that you want me to live. And whilst I know that you never promised that it was a bed of roses, but it is so much easier walking it alongside you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.